0: I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. The trial of Saskatchewan farmer Gerald Stanley and the charges brought against rural Alberta resident Eddie Maurice brought the issue of rural crime to the forefront in 2018. Discussion around the issue saw many residents in rural areas worried about an increase in property crime and whether an overtaxed RCMP could reach them in time in an emergency. We sat down to talk about what drove these concerns, how police tried to respond, and how rural residents took action. It's Saturday, January 12th. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate all the people who have subscribed to the show so far. We do this show to give Canadians a deeper understanding of some of the major issues happening in our country. But beyond your ears, I also want to know what's on your minds. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedback, please send me an email at dbreakenridge at postmedia.com. That's D-B-R-E-A-K-E-N-R-I-D-G-E at postmedia.com. Tyler Dawson is a reporter with the National Post. Rural crime, which really flared as an issue as the Gerald Stanley trial wore on in once you relocate relocated here to Alberta, this was an issue that you gave focus for for the National Post. So, what do you feel was driving the issue here in Alberta?
1: Well, the statistics suggest that it's mostly theft, property crime, and things like that, um, which is actually one of the things that distinguishes Alberta from Manitoba and Saskatchewan, where y- you have rural crime rates sort of outpacing per capita crime rates um, in in cities. But in Alberta, it's mostly thefts property crime things like that whereas in saskatchewan and manitoba um you actually have a lot more violent crime Mm -hmm. comparatively so one of the things that interested me about it right off the bat was the extent that this was a real thing like is crime really that much worse everyone thinks crime is getting worse everywhere it's you know one of those common perceptions that's often not true but the numbers really do bear out that there is you know something of a problem
0: here so so what are the numbers saying about alberta
1: yeah, so if you look back in 2013, police were reporting about 170,000 property crimes in Alberta. By 2017, that was up to about 230,000. So, you have a relatively big jump across the province there. Now, these are police reported crimes only, so if you know if your truck gets broken into and you don't report it, mm-hmm. those aren't going to show up there. But but you do have sort of an overall increase um in the province and then you know, the increase is very sometimes by a lot, sometimes by not very much sort of per
0: town or area. That's what the numbers are saying. But what are the people saying? Yeah. So there's very
1: much the sense in rural Alberta, I think, that crime is getting really bad and that the police aren't able to do anything um, and that you don't know your neighbors anymore and you can't leave your truck unlocked while you're um, out doing harvest or something like that. So there is is the perception, I think, that there has been some sort of cultural change in rural areas that is... Either contributing to this, or um, or or sort of generally, people don't feel as safe, I think, as they as they used to.
0: One of the main stories in Alberta this year was the case of Eddie Maurice. His story served both as a compelling individual case, but highlighted what others have been saying. So, let's break it down. What happened to him?
1: Yeah. So Eddie um was the guy in Okotoks, just outside of Calgary a hundred kilometers down the highway give or take i think maybe a little less and he was at home alone with his daughters his wife was away on a business trip uh heard some noises in the front yard saw that there were people breaking into his vehicles grabbed a gun fired a warning shot um the two alleged robbers took off um and then he phoned the police the rcmp they showed up sometime later Um, And arrested him. So he was charged with weapons offenses and and safe storage offenses, things like that. And so he this was back in February that this all happened It was on his birthday, I think, as a matter of fact, and he ended up in court sort of in the spring. And, you know, he had lots of supporters out uh, supporters supporting him. Um, And really, this case sort of crystallized this idea that if you are the good guy, if you defend yourself against the bad guys, the cops are going to take you away in handcuffs. Mm Um, and, you know, the idea that this is not how it's supposed to be. Now, did he shoot anyone? Was anyone shot in that incident? So the Crown dropped or withdrew the charges, um, saying they had no hope of conviction. And the Calgary Herald, I think it was, got a hold of um, some court documents or reports, something like that, that said it was a ricochet. So Eddie says that he fired a warning shot. Mm-hmm. Um, someone did get hit. Okay. Ended up in hospital, and so that was part of the basis for charges. Um, now, the complicating factor on this is I wrote this story about Edward Maurice, but the RCMP refused to talk to me about it, and the Crown refused to talk to me about it. So, Eddie told me all these things yeah. about what happened that night, um, and I have no real way to corroborate that.
0: Now, in the in his case, so he hears a noise, he sees people on his property, he fires a warning shot. He says he fires a warning shot. Someone gets hit and according to documents it was ricochet and he ends up being charged there's a great outcry after that that essentially you should be able to defend your property right is that the argument that that people were giving you should be able to defend your life and property without fear of being arrested and charged
1: yeah there's there's certainly a little bit of that um I mean, I don't think anyone's advocating for, you know, sort of US style castle doctrine rules or or stand your ground laws, things like that. But certainly there is the sense that, you know, if you're if you live in a rural area and you're, say, 45 minutes away from a police station, I mean, what are you supposed to do if someone's you don't know if that person is there breaking into your truck, if they're going to break into your house, if they're there to steal things, if they're there to commit other crimes. Um, so the perception is that, yeah, you should be able to defend yourself. And if that is with a gun, then so be it. Um, and one of the town councillors I talked to in Olds actually was saying that the way that people need to look at it is if a police officer feels justified in using a firearm in their mm. line of work, then why shouldn't homeowners and and regular Canadians be allowed to use similar the, the amount of force that would be okay for a cop to use? So there is certainly that. I mean, there's a lot of shoot, shovel and shut up talk, and I don't know how serious a lot of that is, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in rural areas with firearms. There are a lot of people in rural areas that are a long way from the police. And, you know, there's very much the sense of, well, what are you going to do?
0: Yeah. They, there's a sense that people feel they can't rely on the police getting there in a timely fashion. Not that they can't rely on the police. I don't get the sense that people are distrustful of the RCMP. It's just a sense that, will they be able to get there in time to catch the offender or to potentially save me from harm?
1: Yeah, that that is true. I, one of the one of the things that the Maurice case did, though, I think, was change that a little bit because because now you had, in addition to the concerns about them not getting there fast enough, um, I think there's also the fear that if you're the good guy, the police also might charge you and mm-hmm. you know upend your life. Um, and even though the charges were dropped against Maurice, I mean, he could he I think they could still have trouble getting across international borders and things like that. Mm-hmm. Certainly, they spent an awful lot of time in court, upended their lives, things yeah. like that. Um, so, there, there is. I think that case harmed sort of rural
0: police relations a little bit. How does Maurice feel about being kind of the poster child for this concern or this issue?
1: Yeah, he. It's he was a little bit reluctant to talk about that when I was in. Okotoks uh, chatting with him, but then they were in, him and his wife Jessica were in Ottawa testifying about royal crime before a parliament- parliamentary committee, and and he sort of talked about how his was kind of an uncomplicated case in the sense that the Gerald Stanley case was very much a discussion about race and race mm. relations in Saskatchewan, um, and, and this, so Eddie's case was, you know, a little more clear cut. Mm-hmm. A little less controversial. So he did kind of feel, does kind of feel that it was his responsibility to sort of speak up for other people in this circumstance because in some ways he was the perfect case, the perfect person to do it. You know, young, nice guy at home with his two young kids, Yeah, bad guys come there. Like in, as a as a poster boy for it, he was a pretty good mm-hmm.
0: candidate. We'll be right back. You've watched the games, you've tracked the stats, but you want the inside story of what's going on in the NHL, you definitely want the Off the Post podcast. Host Paul Chapman is joined by hockey writers across the country discussing the biggest stories in the NHL. From the hot season Alex Ovechkin is having in the state of our Canadian teams to GMs and coaches whose jobs are hanging by a thread, Paul's got you covered. This is smart hockey talk for the informed hockey fan. Get in the game with Off the Post. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts. You mentioned earlier uh, Olds, uh, the counselor from Olds. You wrote about a rural crime patrol in the Olds area. Olds, for people who don't know, is about halfway between Calgary and Red Deer on Highway 2, um, home to Olds College. Um, what exactly brought about this kind of citizen patrol?
1: Yeah, so th- a couple things. Um First of all, part of the Alberta government's overall strategy of addressing rural crime included funding for these Citizens on Patrol groups. So you've got a couple of them. You have Rural Crime Watch and you have Citizens on Patrol. And Citizens on Patrol is basically a group of people that come together and patrol the town. um, And they're an extra set of eyes and ears for the police. So Old saw, you know, relatively significant increases in, in the crime rate. I can't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, it was... Went up by a couple hundred crimes of property crimes and things like that um, over the course of a year. Very little change in violent crime, but you know the same sort of property crime and theft. So you had people who were concerned about this and had a little bit of money from the provincial government, and they just they had a big meeting and a lot of people showed up, a big enthusiastic group of concerned citizens of sort of all ages and backgrounds and things like that. So they they just really picked up on it um they had had a group before and it just sort of fizzled out around 2014 or 2015 i think
0: what do these people do they don't perform citizens arrests i take it like they're out driving around looking for suspicious people and then they phone the police how does it work with yeah these people? so so they have a a,
1: a phone App that they use to communicate with the police, Um, and they they just sort of do a patrol around town. I mean, Old is a pretty small place. I think there's Mm -hmm. maybe ten thousand people there. Fluctuates a bit depending on whether or not college students are in. But they just they drive around through the industrial areas and they check in you know back roads and alleys and things like that. Because the way they explain it is they they live there. It's a small town. They know what things are supposed to look like. Um, They recognize vehicles that don't seem to belong and things like that. So they just sort of drive around and keep an eye out for anything strange. They don't chase anyone strange. They're not supposed to. They Mm -hmm. they don't get out of their vehicles. They don't confront people. Um, They did sort of say they would, you know, if they saw someone injured, obviously, they'd get out and help, and they carry first aid kits and stuff. But mostly, they just drive around, take pictures if they see something amiss, Mm -hmm. text that information to the police,
0: and that's... Sort of where they where they leave it. And what kind of people are involved with this? Is it a mix of ages, uh, and backgrounds, or is it mostly men, mostly women? How does that work?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a it is a pretty good mix. I mean, I think the the oldest person who works with that patrol group was a woman named Margaret Erickson, who's about eighty-four, maybe eighty-five. I can't remember if she had a birthday recently. Um so she <laughs> she drives around in her minivan and patrols the streets. Um, I believe she lives in a senior's residence and just goes yeah. out and patrols town there are some younger folks in their 20s probably um families the two people that I went on sort of a, a patrol with one was from India and the other one was a recent immigrant from South Korea okay um so they were they had come to olds and felt that was you know part of the way that they're going to give back to the community that that welcomed them
0: and what's the relationship like between groups like this and the police is it they obviously they have an app to communicate with the police so it it seems like RCMP are probably supportive of this initiative as opposed to other uh ad hoc vigilante type groups that may show up and say we're going to patrol the streets and make sure they're safe and- yeah
1: yeah the, the they seem to have a pretty good working relationship with the RCMP um part of the RCMP's overall strategy has sort of community liaisons and things like that mm-hmm. that that work with these groups but but the citizens on patrol you know they are sort of incorporated through associations legislation and they do training and they and the police give them presentations um and their office is sort of right in the fire station which is connected i think to the police station in olds so when i when i spoke to the local top RCMP guy he had nothing but good things to say about them he felt they were making a difference and and um were a good group of people now they they were very very careful to explain that they were not vigilantes they did not do vigilante stuff so mm-hmm. Um, the police are not super enthusiastic about those that do talk yeah. about vigilantism. So, yeah. uh, so they have a good re- good relationship because I think they've they've pretty clearly established what they're going to do, what their role is, how they're going to interact with the police, and, and things like that.
0: And you had mentioned that the citizens on patrol they got provincial funding. Uh, the province of Alberta announced, I believe it was a was it a six month pilot project, uh, some point this year to kind of try and tackle some of these issues or how does the funding work? Yeah. So the provincial funding
1: it was $8 million for more police officers, $2 million for more crown attorneys um, mm-hmm. to sort of prosecute crimes, and then a few tens of thousands of dollars in there for, for citizens on patrol. And that that's sort of the Alberta strategy. Um, Saskatchewan has sort of done some slightly different things to tackle their problems, yeah. but- but that's sort of the provincial money and the provincial programming um that they've done and as far as the government can tell and as far as the RCMP will say these things do kind of sort of seem to be seem to be working. So okay. the thing is that the origins and the causes of this are not super well understood. Yeah. Um there's certainly the sense it has something to do with the opioid crisis. There's certainly the sense it has to do with people coming from big cities to small towns. And committing crimes of opportunity. Um, to, and that these are sort of career criminals and things like that. But, you know, the police I talked to for it were not super conclusive about about what the causes are.
0: Yeah, I mean, in times of economic downturn, you can see more property crimes uh, crop up. Um, In cases of uh, drug epidemics as well, you can see people committing property crimes to help fuel their addiction. But um, until you catch a lot of these people, it's hard to really say what is driving some of them. What are RCMPs and and police forces saying about success they're having in dealing with some of these issues?
1: Yeah, so the the RCMP in Alberta... um, had a press conference back in September, I think. Um, and, and they said they'd arrested sort of more than 500 people, I think, over the past sort of six months and mm. had laid 1600 charges, something like that. Um, and they were sort of using technology to crack, crack, track crime patterns. And they had moved some sort of more experienced officers into some of these areas. Um, it's, that's one of the interesting things about the RCMP doing all of Alberta's policing outside of big cities is that You end up in some of these smaller places having newer RCMP officers who Mm -hmm. aren't as experienced um, investigating these sorts of things. So they sort of moved some people around and had liaison units. Um, And so they, as far as um, their stats and their arrest stats say, they are having some success on
0: it. Based on what the residents that you've uh, talked to, uh, rural Albertans you've talked to, what do they hope going forward, whether it's a better relationship with police, more police officers, more money for initiatives like this?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag. Um, yes, more police officers. Yes, more arrests. Um, there is certainly very much the sense that there is a revolving door justice system and all these people are going to be back out on the streets in no time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not... Particularly uh, fond of that. I don't think that's a particularly correct view of the way things work, but certainly they would like to see a a stronger justice system. And certainly, to the extent that this is fueled by drugs, I did hear from some people that felt there should be better treatment programs and things like that because to sort of tackle the root causes of this. Um, There are certainly people who would like self defense laws to be not so much loosened, Mm -hmm. but clarified. So that people know sort of what they can do and when. Um, certainly there are those that think that they should be, you know, relaxed as well. But um those are some of the solutions that they'd like. Um more police is one, but you know, no matter how many police officers you have, you still have to drive, you yeah, know, forty-five far, minutes yeah. to get to someone's house sometimes. So it's uh it's a few different things that sort of Span the political spectrum a little bit, actually.
0: And do you get a sense that a lot of people feel that kind of the way of life that people are accustomed to in in rural communities has changed over time, and not for the better?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Certainly, among some of the older people, they they remembered things being quite different when Mm -hmm. they were when they were younger. Um, You know, it's hard to it's hard to say how much those things really change. I think. I mean, I think of Edmonton when I was a kid, and it seems like it seems like it was a very different place back then, but I don't actually know if that's true. so yeah. it's it's maybe a bit hard to say, but but certainly there's there's little things like mm-hmm. locking your vehicles. Um, I mean, a couple of farmers I talked to used to leave their leave their equipment out in the fields overnight instead of driving it all the way back, yeah, to the shop, and then they don't do that anymore. And that's an awful lot of work. So mm-hmm. things have changed like that um, and places that are growing. You you don't know everyone anymore and people are coming and going. I mean, old's for example, college town, you've got a couple thousand people who are coming in every year who are new yeah. people. So it's you know, I think things have changed a little bit and certainly that perception is out there.
0: For sure. Well, it's something I guess we'll see if the RCMP and government efforts have uh, bear some fruit as we go into 2019. Tyler, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Ten three is produced by Carson Jarama, thanks to my guest, Tyler Dawson. I'm Dave Breakenridge. Thanks for listening.